Welcome to An Abundant Future with Matt Powers. I'm your host, Matt Powers, and I'm here today with Pascal Bodar. And he is, unlike any forager that you've probably ever seen or heard of before, and if you've heard of him, you know exactly why I'm saying it. Because he takes foraging to chef to French cuisine levels. And he is of UrbanOutdoorSkills.com. He teaches classes. He's in Los Angeles. He is taking things to such a high level. And it is all about natives. It's all about eating invasives. It's all about supporting and nurturing the wild. Zone 5, the wilderness. Partnering with nature on a deep level. So I'm so excited. It's such a, a... joy and a blessing to have him here on our podcast. So let's just dive in and hear right from him. Here we go. So it started uh, when I was a kid, really. Uh, so I grew up in Belgium and I still grew up uh, pretty much like the 19th century. So I grew up in uh, in an old farm, uh, my dad was the banker for the town. So, you know, we, we had a little bank and he was kind of like a representative. It would be like Bank of America in a tiny little town of, you know, 1,000 people. Uh, but we were living in this old farm and we had this, you know, we were grazing our own chicken, rabbits. We had our own garden. Uh, but also, uh, basically, the garden and also going into the wilderness that surround you to pick up wild plants or berries or uh, nuts was completely normal. Uh, it was just part of life. There was not this disconnection of food between, well, this is what I'm planting and there is nature. Uh, nature was part of your life. Uh, so it was completely, you know, I will, my grandma used to send me to go pick up nettles. I would bring hazelnuts, walnuts. Uh, all kind of edible plant, and I kind of learned that way uh, how to, you know, basically I learned that foraging was actually not something weird. It was something that everybody should be doing um, in, a, in the correct way, too. Yeah. Um, and then I wanted to really do what I'm doing right now, which is learning about food preservation, uh, food technique, how to make wild beers and wine using wild plants. Basically, it's a really deep exploration of a local terroir, you know, the, your land. What, you know, what can you do with your own land, with the thing that are surrounding you? Because very often, if you think about it, uh, what is farmed is not really the true local flavor. There's nothing wrong with it. But if you want, really want to taste the land, you will go more for what has been growing there for century or millennium on the same land. So that's my interest is actually going to different places, not just California. I just came back from Belgium and I was just teaching in Vermont for two weeks. My interest is go to a location and say, okay, what are the local flavor and how can we interpret that in, in a cuisine? How can we create a cuisine that represents the environment? Now, granted, you know, you have to do it the right way, too. For example, in California, I will say that 90% of what I forage is actually non-native. So I don't make a difference at this point. I'm going like, fine, 
this is an environment right now. No native, I have native people, uh, sorry, native food. And my viewpoint is how can I be ethical? How can I be sustainable? How can I do conscious foraging? And what I mean by that is how can you help nature through foraging? And that's kind of my take on it. So I want to help nature. I want to remove invasive. I want to remove non-native. And at the same time, I'm actually right now creating a food forest using native plants. So I have probably like 2,000 acres of land where I can forage through friends. And I'm creating different wild food gardens uh, in those properties and actually trying to push uh, people to plant native plants and then go for the invasive in the same time. And, you know, this is exactly what folks in permaculture need to get to. I mean, this is the often the first step. It's like, what plants are native to my area that are edible, medicinal, have fiber yeah. qualities, um, yeah. or, or something else? You know, does, does it make good spoons? Does it, you know, make good fence posts? There's a whole, um, right. a whole panel to consider. So... What's incredible, so let me give some examples of some, of, or maybe you maybe you can share some examples. Um, there, There's, you, you create wild cheeses. Yeah. And you, and it, oh man, it's so incredible that the, the, the things you do. What's your favorite, what is your favorite Los Angeles meal based on, strictly on natives? Oh my God, I don't have one. <laughs> I mean, so many. Do you ever repeat your meals? Do you ever repeat? Because I personally, no, I never not, repeat. No, not really. I, I never repeat. It's, uh, and the terroir is always changing. Ah, uh, yeah. I always changing. So it's basically you just do is what you ever do at that time and where you've been type of thing. Um, so it's always a change. I don't have really a favorite, but I do, you know. I'm not even going for native food either. In the same time, I basically use my knowledge of different uh, food. I, I'm really a food preserver too, by the way. Oh, so yeah. The, Pickling, the, yeah, dehydrating. Food preservation yeah. Um, yeah. is is, is an also another skill set that people, you know, they're freezing, they're canning, yeah. they're using yeah. electricity, they're doing all this stuff when there's this whole other way, way to unlock the nutrition and lock the flavors and also mm-hmm. make things that kind of are inedible edible yeah i mean i do a lot of fermentation i'm fascinated too uh, i just finished a book about uh doing wild beers and sodas using local plant yeah you can totally you know i was in vermont we actually made a, a a primitive beer using local ingredient pretty much same ingredient that the viking were using two thousand years ago you don't need to use grain. You don't need to use hops. You know, I use maple syrup. That was the bog myrtle and ground ivy? Yep. Ground myrtle. Uh, uh, sorry, America Gale, bog myrtle, ground ivy, uh, mugwort, a little bit of yarrow. And then uh, I use branches from, uh, what was it? Branches from the birch, yellow birch. Yellow birch. Uh, I even put some ants in it. Uh, <laughs> lemony ants. Yeah. So, so I'm looking at this, and this is so incredible. What? So, um, all right. I'm very into kefir, and I was, yeah. and as I learned and went down the kefir, the kefir, you know, wormhole or rabbit hole, I learned that 
every natural spring has the ability to create these natural symbiotic fungal, which are, you know, yeasts and uh, bacterial associations to create these kefir grains. Uh, uh. And so, and so th- these, these, these things are already in these natural spring waters. And so when you combine the, all these ingredients, did, so did you know that already? Is, is that something that no. you knew? No, because I don't, you know, the only thing I, I do is I really use local bacteria and yeast. So the only thing I, I play with is lactobacteria, wild yeast, and also acetibacteria to make vinegar. Right. So I don't find kefir in the wilderness uh, on, on my own terroir, so I don't use kefir, I don't use koji, I just basically use what what the terroir offer me. Right, right. No. I just meant, that, I just meant yeah. that there's another another source of microbiological uh, inoculant found in the mm. local natural springs. Nice. I can look <laughs> for it. <laughs> Yeah, so this is just beautiful, and so your camera work is also just stunning. Um, oh, and it's we really also you know need that because people need to see how beautiful our nature is and how beautiful the cuisine can be. I mean, the ants on top of of this uh, this is this is goat cheese. <laughs> it's so gorgeous. Um, maybe we'll we'll make this. Uh, maybe we'll make this the cover of the episode. But this this goat cheese with oh man, what is that on top? That red okay, sauce. So it's a, it's a very complex sauce on top. So it's so we did the goat cheese using um, local vinegar made with apple cider vinegar. So it's from Vermont. You know they have apples. Mm-hmm. Uh, we they actually melt the the goat like literally like an hour before we make the cheese. Whew. So we made that cheese. Then we um, the sauce is made with something called high bush cranberries. And interestingly enough, the locals say, "Oh my God, it smells like socks." So it smells like feet, but it actually smells like cheese a little bit, like like fermented cheese. And when you cook it, it actually re- reduces that smell. It's very sour in the same time. So we mix that with maple syrup look, that they made at the school too. So everything is local. Uh, and then I add a little bit of mugwort, uh, a little bit of Japanese nutweed, which is really invasive in that area. Uh, and we boiled it and basically made that kind of like sauce. And then we have the, the local carpenter hands really taste like citric acid, lemony super uh, very interesting flavor so we just use that as an ingredient it's a flavor the, you know ants are edible it's part of the insects that are edible so i don't have any cultural bias about it it's part of a terroir so we did basically a forest cheese you know amazing i love it i love it this is an incredible and so i hope our listeners find you and follow you are you also on instagram yes uh, yes, under my name is P A S C A L B A U D A R. Wow. Because it is just, and you know, because you make it so beautiful, and because you you just want to eat it when you just when you see it, and then you read the ingredients, it is always this like wow kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> because you're like, I want to eat that, and then you're like, wait a second, those are ants. <laughs> That's funny. No, it's true. But, you know, I I have a bit of a goal in the same time is I, I want, you know, 
it's interesting. I live in California, and we live in uh, California is a bit strange because you have also uh, people are so disconnected from nature. Mm -hmm. You know, we also have a lot of people who are like, "Oh, you cannot touch nature. You cannot do anything with nature." You know, nature needs to be protected. But I think it's really the wrong approach. It doesn't work that way. I think that if people really connect with nature and do it the right way, then you know you're going to have a respect for nature, and people will protect nature that way. If you're completely disconnected, what's happening is, I would say 99.9% of the people in Los Angeles, we don't care about nature at this point. You can't care about what you don't know. You don't care about what you don't know. And the big, the big problem really about nature is not foraging or is not touching it. It's uh, urban you know, expansion because we keep growing as a species and just taking over. Mm -hmm. but, but I'll give you a good example. Uh, New Mexico, for example. There was, a, there was a, rare, a rare hops that was growing, like a wild hops that nobody, nobody knew about. Or people were kind of going like, yeah, it's not as good as the European one. And this guy started to go foraging for these hops that was kind of rare and growing it in his yard and started to grow it more and more and experimenting and making beer with it. And people became interested and know these wild hops that was kind of where is starting to be cultivated commercially. Whoa. So you have a native plant, yeah. So you have, you have a native plant that is not used anymore, that was about to maybe go extinct because nobody cared about it. Somebody comes in, say, okay, this is fantastic, incredible flavor, local flavor. You make a local beer, you bring business to the local, you grow in that plant, you bring it back from, you know, nearly from extinction. And, you know, this is like a success story. And this is how. You know, I think in permaculture or even farmers, if wild food becomes more popular, so maybe we're going to find some of true native plant being cultivated again by farmers who replace native land to farm non-native plant. Wow. So that's kind of a goal. How can, you know, I think if you explore the, the true flavor of a terroir, then you can actually help the local plant and the local insect at the same time. I agree, I agree. You are a catalyst for changing these areas that you go to because you're connecting them to their local terroir. And yeah. and and it, you are like wild yeast uh, for people. It's amazing. Yeah, it can be controversial too. <laughs> I get, oh. you know, I get my, I get my share of emails sometimes. Like, oh my God, he's touching nature. How oh, dare you eating little insect? You're a monster. <laughs> oh my word. Well, you know, I have a secret plan, and my secret plan is not so secret by those who who have heard it. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but my secret plan is that I want to bring the wilderness into the urban. And yeah. so where I'm working at down at the World Beat Cultural Center in Balboa Park, they have mm -hmm. the Cornell Ornithology Lab has a bird sanctuary there partnered with the World Beat Center. And they've mm -hmm. got Monarch Butterfly Sanctuary. And it's also an edible and native. Um, and there's native edibles too. But it, it's got everything. And so it's this garden sanctuary, a food forest sanctuary. And yeah. so we want to bring these into the school area so that the kids see birds, see right. pollinators, yeah. see native plants and edibles and the crossover between those two so that yeah. we have them foraging 
and learning real science, real science for once, right? In schools and having, and then the wonderful part um, that's, you know, there's all the extended benefits, um, but one of them is that they can't spray their biocides anymore um, around the schools because they would um, hurt the, the, the habitat that we create. So I love this idea. I'm gonna have to, Pick your brain, and maybe you can share uh, with with our audience. You know, this we're going to be segueing this into a an FM radio show in San Diego, so this will be perfect. And you can come on and educate us regularly. But maybe you could share with us what are your what are like the top five easiest to grow edible natives that should be in everyone's front yard, backyard, side yard, <laughs> in 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 the coastal California area? I would go for spice. I, I, I'm a biggest fan of a spice blend made with local sage. Mm. And made with, uh, I do it with white sage, which by the way, white sage, a lot of people, uh, I don't call it forge it, but grab it uh, because it's uh, to, to use it commercially for, <coughs> sorry, for small sticks. So I like to plant so much white sage. I probably planted like 40 or 50 this year, uh, not for food, but to actually make up for people who actually sell it commercially for, for smudge sticks. So I think it's good if you plant at home. Um, so white sage, I use black sage a lot for spice blend. California sage brush, Artemisia californica is another one. Um, California Bay, very few people use it. And it's actually pretty good if you know how to do it. It needs to be dehydrated for like a month or two before you use it, but super tasty. Um, another one that I will be planting, oh God, I plant so many different, I love mugwort, California mugwort too. I use it to make a primitive beer. And like that's hops. a bitter, right? That's like wormwood. Yeah. yeah, it's like a similar to wormwood. It's a bitter, uh, some bartender can use it to actually create bitter for, for their drink. I use it mostly for beers, but it's also my favorite culinary herb uh, because if you add um, sugar to it, it's a bitter plant, but if you add sugar to it, it, it will balance the, the, the bitterness and you get the benefit of the aromatic. Good example, you know, you make a jam with berries and you want more flavor, you add, you know, one leaf of mugwort in it and it really elevates the jam. Wow. Uh, if, you, if you make sauces, um, I used to work with a chef, uh, Ludo Lefebvre, and if he makes a sauce using berries, you know, trying to put a little bit of mugwort in it and it really helps kind of like elevate the sauce to a new level. That's incredible. So, yeah, it's a very medicinal herb too. Uh, it's not something you want to use in large quantity if you're newly pregnant. So if you're newly pregnant, don't drink my beer. <laughs> but it has been used in cooking, you know, in small amounts, not a problem. It's been used in cooking in so many different Asian countries, too, like Korea. They use mugwort all the time. You can buy it. They, they have their own mugwort. We have our own native mugwort or California mugwort. Um, so, so many possibilities. I calculated last time, I'm probably dealing with like 640 different ingredients. That's incredible. So speaking of uh, mugwort, mugwort is used to fight cancer. It's such a powerful bitter. So that's why it could also be um, affect a, a, a baby's development because 
it's fighting, you know, it's, it's doing, it's making your body be very active. Um, uh, and it's, it's good. It's very healthy. Yeah. It stimulates the uterus in large quantity. There is a, it does contain tujon in large quantity, which some says the good stuff, some says the bad stuff. <laughs> so it's likely psychotropic, but anything that, you know, even hops is like slightly psychotropic too. I think it's the way the plant communicate to you. You know, they create different effect on you. So, uh, for example, hops put you to sleep. So the beer that you, uh, the, the regular beer that you drink is actually a, a depressing and to some degree and a painkiller too. Uh, if you use mugwort, completely different. Mugwort makes you giddy, happy, uh, more energy. You know, it's very same thing with wormwood. Wormwood is a completely different effect, you know. So by doing by going back and doing like a very, very old beer and I probably use like 90 different ingredients to make different beers, you can't, the potential is just incredible, both physically and you can make medicinal beer, but you can even also change people's mood and make them more happy, for example, using plants. That's incredible. So just to clarify for the audience, absinthe is made with wormwood. So um, there's a history of, 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 of a liquor that you probably know of that really is, you know, it's, it's, real, it's related. It's a cousin to mugwort. Yeah, but also the, it was very exaggerated, the story of absinthe. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, but they were mixing it with opium. That's why they were mixing it with opium, and that's why it did all that stuff. Yeah, and it's also a distillation process, which is different from a beer. Because when you distill, you really extracted the essential oil yeah wow the plant. So it's, it's very different so, so let's talk about have, beer yeah. let's talk yes. about beer Why for not? a second because roundup you know glyphosate that they're using that to to, to uh, dry down the grains the wheat grains that are becoming beer and people are finding there's large amounts of pesticide in the common uh -huh. beers and even not yeah. not so common beers so People are really searching for an alternative right now. And so w what kind of beers do you do? You do? do you recommend? What, what, what's an easy beer for people to start? Well, I don't use hops. I don't use grains. So <laughs> there you I, go. Still call, I, I still call my beer beer because it tastes like a cross between a beer and a cider. So if it, you know, technically uh, the definition of a beer is a beverage made of hops and grains. And it was created in the 1600, but it was not because of flavor or taste. It was because of taxes. If you can name something and force people to do it, then you can tax it. So I'm going back to pre-1600, and I call my beer a beer. I don't call it something else. Wow. How much of your information have you uh, been studying, um, like history and historical accounts? Oh, my God. I would say 20% of what I do is research. Beautiful. Uh, I love you. It. You have to because, you know, for five years I was working with chefs. So you have to research everything you do, potential mm -hmm. allergies. Is it unhealthy, healthy? Uh, you know, how, you know, how long has it been used? Any, uh, you know, any medicinal herbal, herbalism, we study herbalism a little bit. So you basically really study the plant to so many different degrees so that you know when you do something, it's a, you know, it is safe and you can do it. Wow, I love it. Yes, that's amazing. That's how I, you know, I spent um, 80 to 90% uh, of my time for the past two years studying 
Um, and yeah. now, now I feel like, you know, this new book that I created, I've really dived in deep to permaculture and now I can come back. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the research is unbelievable. I mean, I found so many things doing research, you know. You know, a good example would be the use of unripe berries. Not a lot of people use unripe berries, but many unripe berries, we actually taste like lemon uh, or vinegar in the old days. They used to, uh, you know, in the Middle East, they used to juice um, unripe apples, unripe, uh, what is it? Unripe currant, unripe uh, gooseberries to actually make a lemon substitute because they didn't have lemon at the time. It, it came from the crusade. Would it? Would it? Would it? Um, curdle milk. Uh, Sometimes it could curdle milk. Uh, I have to experiment a little bit more. I don't have enough time to do all my experiments. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I, I usually curdle milk using fix up. Hmm. Yeah, the the fig sap tree. Uh, oh yeah, uh, I remember cut. this. This is awesome. I remember this. I yeah. read this. Yeah, I love figs. So it's interesting. I mean, you're basically using really everything in nature to make your own cheese, to make your own wine, to make your own beer, to make your own sodas, your own vinegar. You know how to make your own vinegar using using local bacteria. You know, I, you're actually using fruit flies. Fruit flies have the, the acidic bacteria on their body to turn your beer into a vinegar. So the only thing you have to do is you put your a jar of your wild beer, it has to be organic, oh. and, you, and you put it outside and then you put a little sign that say, first you have to put a bit of music, like trance music, <laughs> like boom, boom, boom. Then you put a little sign that says free beer, and that's it, this flies here, the music, they come with what's going on, and then soon they, they realize it's like a big huge trance party, you look back 20 minutes later in your jar and you have a whole pool party with music and drinking beer and you have like 20 or 30 fruit flies. And at that point, you just basically cover it with a cheesecloth. Beautiful death. You know, they, they smile while they're going down with all the beautiful beer you've made. And you come back three weeks later and it's turned into vinegar. Wow. And, and the, so the make... flies are just an added bonus. So the fries are at the bottom, but what you're interested in is by the mother vinegar on top. So now you take the mother vinegar, the, the you know, on top, which is kind of like, uh, it looks like kombucha. And you just grab that part and then infect uh, another, another beer and there you go. You don't eat the fruit flies anymore. So the dregs at the bottom aren't useful? I don't, I don't use them. No, I'm, I'm interested by the mother vinegar the first time I do it. Once you got the mother vinegar, then, you know, you can use it forever. I have one that I've been using for six years now. Wow, I get it, I get it. Yeah. That's incredible. So, so I mean, the amount of stuff people have forgotten, you know, this is all around us, and just people don't know it anymore. Well... So are you starting schools or programs or online online courses? I know you have um, you have the Urban Outdoor Skills and there's a yeah. class schedule here. Yeah. Um, so I, I've actually just got a location on a private property in the Angeles Forest. So I've got a location with benches for like 20 people. So I'm really going to start to get busy now. So it's just beautiful. for me and I'm going to be able to... Uh, start giving classes for the whole day, for example, going like, okay, in the morning, we're going to go uh, foraging for black mustard seeds. We're going to be making some wild mustard using, you know, homemade vinegar. We're going to learn how to make condiments. 
next Wednesday I have a class on uh, you know how to how to find and cook local insects like uh, like um, I mean I, I I teach people also to grow insects like mealworms um, but you know how to grab crickets uh, how to eat local hands that taste like lemon so this is all part of the local flavor too absolutely well, that and is wonderful. Are you going to film these classes and turn them into maybe nah, an online course? Nah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I can help I, you I'm, out. I'm, I can help I you know, out if you need to. I have so much. Uh, I don't know how to do all this. <laughs> well, really, but I know how to do it, but just, I, don't, I don't know how to do all this in terms of time. I hear that. I hear that. Uh, well, I, I, I still could probably help do a, maybe a, a small thing or, or, or whatever um, because it's so important what you're doing it's exciting I and, find it exciting I mean I don't know if it's important but I this my passion I got totally find that exciting I wake up and I'm already like going like what can I do today I'm actually excited every day when I wake up I'm like what's next you know I have so many projects well in my eyes it's important because what you're doing is preserving a local native habitat and biodiversity. Mm-hmm. Um, you're drawing people's attention to that so they actually can identify these plants and animals as individuals in, in their environment. And yep. then you're bringing this conscious celebration um, in such an attractive way that and, and it brings your enthusiasm and excitement is apparent just by the way the wild sourdough you know is coming or the or the or the it was it the cheese where it's like coming over yeah. the top oh that was sourdough yeah that was sourdough I woke up in the morning and it was like pouring out of the jar through the mesh and it was so beautiful at the same time it was gorgeous. It was very- I know it was like I, mean, I was amazed. Nature amazes me all the time. It's you know it's fascinating the thing that you discover when you work with nature. Well, it's effulgent when you're when you're really letting it do its thing. Um, yeah. When you're getting out of the way and honoring it and having the reverence to be aware, it teaches you so much. So this is why you know I feel like your work is absolutely important, and I would love to have you as part of the. That the permaculture indigenous to urban conference that I'm 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 setting up in San Diego sometime in February March, uh, we haven't set a date yet. I am so impressed with your work, and so excited. So what's next on the horizon? This this class? Do you have another? You have a beer book that came out. I yeah, don't see the beer book. Beer book. And I'm working right now on a book. And the slant is really, you know, it's a, it's fine. It's a whole progression that I'm also going through as a as a person, as you you know, as you work with nature. And the next book is going to be related to uh, I would say like conscious foraging. It's how to help nature through foraging. Oh yeah. And, and creating a cuisine that will actually help nature. Uh, and that's interesting because I don't have all the answer. I think it's going to be a work in progress for a lot of people because you have so many different viewpoints on it. You know, it's, I was in Vermont and, you know, in Vermont, the, the school where I am, they actually manage their own forest. So they kind of like doing a food forest too, you know, but they also manage it for the local animals and the local birds and stuff like that. 
And it was fascinating to see like all the viewpoints of different people. They don't always agree with each other. It's, it's quite complex. You know, uh, you know, people see things from different viewpoints. You know, ecologists will see it from one viewpoint. Naturalists, you know, people like myself, mushroom people, bird people, you know, and, and everybody comes there with their own, own viewpoint on how can, how do we tackle, you know, the survival of our planet? How, how we can, can we tackle the survival of the wilderness as we, you know, you know, I was in, when I was in Belgium, like, you know, three, four months ago, it was actually quite sad for me because, you know, I remember as a kid, there used to be a lot of forests and most of them are gone at this point. They've been replaced, you know, from, uh, by uh, agriculture. Uh, this, you know, this used to be a land of forest, and it's pretty, I would say, like, aside from a section of Belgium called the Ardennes, everything else is pretty much gone, and the forests that have been created are completely artificial. They're, they're completely human-made. You know, they, they, the, all the trees are planted in rows, and, you know, and, and you don't have this, there is no feeling of wilderness anymore. And I was like, my God, this is so sad, you know? Yeah, it is very sad. You know, and I think it's important, you know, we, yes, we have to grow food, but how, and that's why I say again, it's important to recognize that there is also wild food, there is food that we can grow that is really local, and we can help nature by doing that too. Absolutely. Well, I hope that my audience is excited. I hope they buy the new Wild Craft Cuisine, which is available everywhere, right? You can then buy it buy it online. It's on Amazon. It's on um, uh, Barn and Noble. So you can buy. It. You know, it's always better if you buy it directly from my publisher because you actually have them. And I have an incredible publisher called Chelsea Green. Chelsea Green Publishing. They also publish uh, Wild Fermentation with Sandra Katz. Uh, so it's you know better if the money goes directly to those guys because they're really. They're really publishing book of a lot of good people, permaculture, farmers. Yeah, that will help them. I agree. I my my more more recent book was based on a lot of their books. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, it's, it's an incredible publisher. They really care. You know, Absolutely. so I'm very happy that they support me. And your website is urbanoutdoorskills.com and you are on social media everywhere. So folks don't neglect to connect with the amazing example and just constant barrage of gorgeous pictures that are, you know, every time I'm scrolling, they stop me. (laughs) I have to redo my website. My website is like two years old. I have not updated it. I mostly, if people want to follow me, they should follow me on Facebook or Instagram right now. And that's going to be my next priority is also work on my website and putting it back to uh, to date a little bit. You well, know, right now, mostly the schedule of class, but I've not updated it. I don't know how to do everything. <laughs> it's hard to do everything. I know it. I know. I'm in, there, I'm in the I know. same boat. Like it, you know, having to go into nature. I actually rather be in nature than doing social media, but <laughs> you have to. Yeah, it's a it's a hard balance to find, that's for sure. Yeah, I know, I know. But I mean, if you want to bring the message, and, and you know, it's not even bring a message for me. I love to share my passion. You know, you have to do it.
Pascal is an inspiration. I'm so excited uh, to promote his work. I want to learn from him. I want to take some of his classes and I want to bring him down to the World Beat Center in San Diego and do some classes with him, uh, learn from him as much as I can, and hopefully have him at Permaculture Indigenous to Urban, the conference that we're hosting this winter in San Diego at the World Beat Center, if all goes well. <laughs> we're in the planning stages. We're aligning people's schedules right now because we really want it to be special. We want people to be there who are amazing. So if you guys haven't been aware, I've been discussing with social media, all our friends on social media, about a schedule. Because my podcast, I don't know if you've noticed, they come out in spurts and then we have quiet periods and then come out in like blasts again. So I would like to now have a schedule. And that means that not just the podcast is gonna be scheduled. We're gonna have a blog that goes with the podcast. We're going to have weekly Wednesday seed giveaways. Just like I was doing when I was over at Baker Creek, I'm gonna continue doing that, um, except just with my own seeds, because I've got plenty of those too. Um, and I've got a lot of breeding projects that I wanna share with people so that we can start spreading new varieties and, and new interesting things that people can work on themselves. So join us in the adventure. Mondays, an abundant future, the podcast will be on new episodes every Monday. Monday night probably is when they'll be uploaded, maybe during the day, uh, if I get to it, but definitely by night, every Monday night. And we may change that as I segue into an FM radio show spot with Makeda. Um, and Makeda is the one down at the World Beat Center who started that whole thing. She is the longest running reggae DJ in San Diego. She's a force. And she's uh, amazing. She's my partner in a lot of these things that we're planning down there, and she's incredible. So we've got a lot of things going for us. There's lots going on. Uh, this time period is a time period of crunch in my own personal life. Um, there's a lot of things going on health-wise uh, with my family. So uh, we're just we're just pushing hard, you know, to try to help as many people as possible. And at the same time, we need help too. So if you guys want to support the show, go to thepermaculturestudent.com and click on support and you'll be able to download this recent work that I'm working on called Five Steps to an Abundant Future. It sounds like the title of this podcast, right? It's because it's related. We really cannot bring people to change their lives by saying, you will die if you don't do this, you know, with like climate change or food or lifestyle changes you know, or even law changes. We need to be the Pied Pipers. We need to invite people, make it sound fun and interesting and exciting because it is. That's the reality. The regenerative economy, the abundant future that we're talking about is exciting, is more engaging than sitting at a desk with a computer, is more enlivening because it involves more people and does things that are ethical and have real exponential growth attached to them. So I encourage you all to, wherever you can, reach out to your community, reach out to your environment, and start giving back regeneratively, start partnering with nature. Use natural cycles to support people around you. And grow in abundance because, you know, half the time that's how it starts. You know, you grow too many squash, you gotta share those things or else they're gonna rot, right? Or they grow too big and then you got a, you know, a garden full of just giant squash um, going to seed and you only wanted one. So, you know, all these things 
what, no matter where you're at, you can make regenerative change. You can start studying your natives. You can start by buying Pascal's book. You can start by joining us, you know, when we do lives, going onto my website, studying all the free materials we have, joining the newsletter, studying all the materials we have there. Um, there's a lot of stuff when you join our team and when you join our, our newsletter. There's, there's so much that's going on. My alumni know that um, they, they, they get to take part, even after they finish my courses, in special things that people outside, even there, don't get access to. So there's always stuff going on. I'm always trying to help people. The future is waiting. It's waiting on you. It's waiting on all of us to work together to figure out how to improve, how to make things regenerative. So this week, go out, live regeneratively, make regenerative choices, and live abundantly. From Matt Powers, at an abundant future, have a great week.